The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Oh, we've got a busy Wednesday show for you. Uh, Arabi Legamedia, myself, Steve Sedgwick are your anchors today. These are your headlines. HSBC shares slip in Hong Kong despite a record annual profit, missing expectations amid a a write-off on its stake in China's BOCOM. The CEO Noel Quinn, though, telling CNBC he's still very bullish on the country's economy. We're still very confident about the China economy. We believe strongly that there are huge opportunities ahead as the economy repositions to a consumer-led economic growth model. Chinese stocks bounce, reversing early losses after the market regulator pledges to step up supervision, whilst the Shanghai and Shenzhen bourses crack down on a key quant fund. Wall Street posting back-to-back declines led by losses in NVIDIA. That's after the chipmaker sees its worst day since October, but it's still ahead of its highly anticipated earnings. That comes out after the bell today. And Carrefour hikes its dividend by 55% as Europe's largest retailer sees a boost in profits after cutting prices to improve competitiveness. Welcome to the show. Let's start off straight away on the banking sector because there are few companies that transcend banking and our focus on China more than HSBC. Uh, It was a very nuanced set of numbers. There was some good in there and then there was some stuff that perhaps more concerning. HSBC posting a 78% jump in full year pre-tax profit to a record $30.3 billion. So that's a very positive number. And yet you'll notice shares down 3.4%. Uh, They're falling perhaps in part because they fell short on expectations as the lender took a $3 billion impairment on its stake in China's Bank of Communications. Um, Emily, I was watching your and Dan interview with Noel Quinn with absolute interest. And once again, his his unshakable faith in China was there despite that write down. Nice to see you. Yeah, nice. Good to see you too there, Steve. And we've got, of course, uh, Noel Quinn talking about the record numbers, uh, the fact about the Chinese economy, that they remain optimistic on it. Uh, They're committed to the Bank of Communications relationship as well, uh, which has been with them for the last 20 years. Uh, Let's run you through HSBC because uh, the numbers uh, looked good. Uh, with, the, with the exception of the impairment, and we're looking at the stock getting punished today, uh, down about 3.5% in Hong Kong trade. HSBC posting record annual profits lifted by higher interest rates, but missing estimates on a hefty charge from its stake in Bank of Communications. Its 2023 pre-tax profit of $30.3 billion on revenues of $66 billion. The bank also announcing a fresh $2 billion share buyback, and that is expected to be completed in the first quarter of this year. Now, this comes on top of the $7 billion that was just completed. HSBC is also rewarding shareholders with a total dividend of $61 U.S. cents for the year, the highest full-year dividend since 2008. Noel Quinn, Group CE, just a short while ago, joined us here on CNN. NBC and said that the impairment charge was related to Bank of Communications and was a technical accounting adjustment. This is what he had to say a short time ago. It's a technical accounting adjustment. 
It makes no difference at all to our CE21 of any significance to our CE21 capital of 14.8%. And it has no impact on our ability to distribute dividends or buybacks. It is um, an accounting adjustment only with no impact on capital. Also, I want to reiterate, we're still very confident about the China economy. We believe strongly that there are huge opportunities ahead as the economy repositions to a consumer-led economic growth model. And we also have had a 20-year strong relationship with BOCOM, and we believe that this does not change our status with BOCOM at all. Uh, their home markets, uh, Hong Kong and the UK, uh, looking at the pre-tax profit broken down by geography. Hong Kong and Shanghai Banking Corporation, $16.1 billion, an increase of 25% year over year. And uh, of course, we were talking about uh, the influence that Hong Kong is under with its uh, connectivity to that of China and getting squeezed in the crosshairs of the Sino-US tensions and the competition that is going on between these two countries over the last couple of years. Uh, Noel remains very confident in their commitment and investment into China. This is what he had to say about that. We reported a growth in our PBT last year in mainland China of close to 10%. So despite a challenging economy at that point transitioning out of COVID into recovery, we still reported an increase in our profits in mainland China. We clearly have taken some additional losses on our commercial real estate book. But most of that was actually booked in Hong Kong because that was offshore borrowing done by corporate uh, developers in China. But we feel we're very well provisioned now on our, on our exposure in the commercial real estate sector. Uh, so I think we've gone beyond that point of concern for us. It will now take the China commercial real estate market a few years to rebuild itself now that it's hit the bottom. But I do believe we're starting to turn, we'll see that turn the cycle over the next two to three years. More generally in China, I think what we're doing is we're transitioning from one economic growth model of the past four decades, which was largely infrastructure and export led, to an alternative economic growth model, which is really led by a growing consumer business and a consumer demand. And I just want to draw attention to the amount of urbanization that's taken place in China. Huge amount of potential economic growth over the next two to three decades from that inherent urbanization as GDP per capita starts to grow over the coming years. If I look more generally, I think we're still in a transition phase for the global economy out of COVID into recovery, higher inflation, higher interest rates, moving to lower inflation, lower interest rates. And I actually see a transition curve coming in the next 12 to 24 months where you'll start to see a reboot in economic activity. Clearly, there are half of the world is going through um, uh, elections over the next few months um, and you know we'll have to see how that changes local economics but overall I think I'm more optimistic certainly from a HSBC perspective on the ability to drive growth as economic activity picks up. Uh, they remain optimistic on the back of these uh, record numbers for the full year so uh, the key takeaways uh, Steve are the numbers we got to 
pre-tax profit of $30.3 billion for the full year uh, with an additional $2 billion U.S. in share buybacks that's announced to be completed in the first quarter of this year. There is that impairment charge, but they were saying that it's a technical accounting issue. And then in terms of the dividends, the highest full-year dividend since 2008, 61 U.S. cents, and a dividend payout ratio target remaining at 50% for the year 2024. So just a quick check of HSBC shares before I go. Uh, we are looking at weakness here. We're down about 3.4% in Hong Kong trade, and you contrast that with the Hang Seng Index, which is rallying 2.5%. HSBC is a, one of the most heavily weighted on the Hong Kong market, uh, together with Tencent and Alibaba. So uh, there's um, a bit of weakness, but that's not enough to pull down the Hong Kong market today. Back to you yeah, for look, now. Just, just a quick uh, follow-up from me. Um, I, I listened again. That's twice I've listened to his interview with you, and I, it's fascinating. But he's talking about a longer-term time frame, and I wonder if the investors this morning are just thinking more short-term. He's asking investors... Um, to look at the two to three year time frame on China, or on the commercial real estate, on the transition to more domestically consumer led focus as well. And it seems to me his time frame is slightly different from what the market is looking at uh, today. I saying, hang on a second, you, there are write downs here and now on BOCOM. There is a return on tangible equity, which is underwhelming compared to our expectations here and now. And uh, there are concerns about whether CRE is bottoming now or it's going to bottom over a longer term period. I just wonder if his time frame is different from the markets today. Yeah, it could be. The uh, the bank in their financial report card it did talk about the Chinese economy uh, growth of 5% last year and they're expecting that to be maintained in 2024. Uh, investors are fretting about the headwinds that we're seeing in the Chinese economy, uh, what the uh, real estate property market could be doing to that uh, because uh, the dominoes are falling. We had the collapse of Evergrande real estate. Uh, so with that, we are looking at how HSBC is you know, exposed to that. Uh, we didn't really talk too much about the property market uh, with him in his interview because previously, in previous years, they did have exposure uh, to that and they have been, of course, uh, dialing that back. Uh, but looking ahead, they remain confident about the Chinese economy, the resilience in it, and the growth opportunities there. Uh, Hong Kong, together with China, remains to be one of its biggest markets. Uh, its uh, profit center is that what's what they call it. And uh, so this uh, impairment charge is really what's uh, dragging down on the stock today as we're looking at afternoon trade and HSBC shares now trading down about 3.7%. Steve. All right. Superb work, Emily. Thank you very much indeed for that. Uh, let us move on. Just safe to say we're going to get uh, more from leaders in the banking space later today. Don't miss our uh, U.S. interview with the exclusive interview indeed at that with the Bank of America CEO Brian Moynihan. Now that is at 1500 Central European time. Arabile. Now, China has announced restrictions on major quant fund Lingjian Investment, barring it from selling or trading for three days after finding it had broken rules on orderly trading. Now, it comes as part of a broader regulatory effort to shore up investor confidence in the market, with China's two main stock exchanges vowing to tighten supervision of quantitative trading. Here's a quick look then at the greater China market then as well. You can see an, ups an uptick then, uh, particularly the Shanghai Composite, up more than 2%. Across the board there, you're seeing uh, specific gains of more than 2% then.
All right. Uh, the China story itself has been one to, of course, interesting. One, if you take a look just even at HSBC, saying that they're continuing uh, to, to see a good news story out of China. But just to even note that they're still going to cut out their um, commercial real estate exposure in that market, setting aside $200 million then to cover potential losses and even reducing their exposure then by $4.6 billion. That's a 28% cut then in their exposure to China. So is I suppose that, a, is that, that market... Is actually cutting the exposure or is it actually just realizing that the exposure they've got has gone, uh, the, the value of it's gone down? That's probably the, the case then, right? I because don't know. because that's ultimately what we're seeing over here. Look, they've even cut their exposure to the US by 27%. So is that, is that like for like, yeah. or is that a case of them seeing something that uh, okay. we aren't seeing in these numbers overall? Okay, um, let's get out to Sam. Sam, there's so much going on this morning in terms of uh, statements from Chinese authorities, statements on quant funds, statements about uh, actually, what is it, uh, following Communist Party values. Why don't you just break down the key parts for us? Okay, Steve. Well, let, let me start with the, the quant fund because that seems to be one of the headlines that we're tracking today. This seems to be part of these efforts to step up tougher scrutiny of what's going on in the stock market. We have had this quant fund this morning coming out saying that it is going to be more bullish on Chinese stocks for the long term. This uh, seems to be after it got in a bit of hot water with the authorities, three days barred from trading. Uh, this came after it was accused of uh, shared dumping, violating the rules. It doesn't look like this is going to affect the quant fund uh, too much. But uh, the big question is, what is this going to do in terms of confidence around these other quant funds, uh, particularly as we have certainly seen uh, this step up in terms of uh, tougher scrutiny? Uh, this is all part, as you say, of the securities watchdog very much wanting to revive the stock market, uh, boost confidence. Um, of course, there's a new securities watchdog in town. Uh, he's very much got down to brass tacks straight off the back of the Chinese New Year, holding these seminars uh, reportedly with a number of market participants trying to solicit proposals as to how to actually try to fix the situation after the CSI 300 index. Those Chinese blue chips fell to five-year lows uh, in recent weeks. One of those is to step up some of that scrutiny, uh, but also to create a more sort of fair uh, environment uh, for the stock market and also crack down on, on these IPOs because um, they want to try to avoid any sort of market uh, disruption. Um, there's also been a lot of uh, headlines around uh, the financial regulators as well, as you mentioned, trying to revive socialist values to ensure that the financial sector, uh, which of course is a $63 trillion sector over in China, does adhere to Communist Party values. Uh, so this is something that we've seen um, in terms of a trend in recent years. President Xi Jinping trying to push domestic policy uh, and, and politics more towards the party to gain more state control. We've seen reports in the Wall Street Journal that he is wanting to revive socialist values in the housing sector. It looks like they're trying to do this in the stock market, in the financial sector as well. Uh, so this all looks like it's behind what's driving the gains on the stock market today. Uh, not to mention, of course, we have had that cut the record surprise cut by the PBOC to the five-year loan prime rate. What's interesting is that um, initially the PBOC didn't look like it was actually getting much mileage out of that cut. Uh, we didn't see uh, investors too inspired by that yesterday, but perhaps uh, they are realising that this is part of broader efforts now and they are, of course, now looking towards uh, the NPC for further signals, uh, certainly uh, looking out for more fiscal measures 
businesses and particularly targeting consumers. Guys, back to you. Sam, thank you so much for that then. Appreciate it. We'll come back to you, of course, a little bit later. Now, coming up on the show, Walmart beating expectations in the fourth quarter as shoppers flock to the retail giant through the holiday season. We'll bring you the latest numbers next. Plus, attention on NVIDIA as the chipmaker releases fourth quarter numbers today. Will the Wall Street darling continue to rally? We'll discuss later this hour. Also, earnings season continuing here in Europe. Later on in the show today, we'll be speaking to the CFO of Volta's Clover as the company CEO or company report, should I say. It's full year results. That interview is coming up at 9.15 CET. Listen to CNBC's Beyond the Valley, the podcast that explores the biggest tech news from across the globe. Join me, Arjun Karpal. And me, Tom Chitty, every week as we bring you insights into the top stories, unpack the latest trends, and find out where the industry is headed. Now available on Spotify, Apple Music, and Google Podcasts. Welcome back. Let's take a quick roundup then of the U.S. markets and how things fared on Wall Street yesterday. Back from the President's Day holiday then and on the back foot was Wall Street yesterday. Uh, overall, the three majors posting back-to-back -back losses then. The Nasdaq, the biggest loser there, around 1%. In fact, 15,630. Back below 5,000 points then for the S&P 500 as it dropped off uh, 30 points. Then 10 of the 11 sectors were in red with consumer staples the only gainer there, managing to move up 1.1%. But it was significantly about NVIDIA. That stock price actually ahead of its earnings that are anticipated after the bell today saw a drawdown around 4.4% then in its share price then uh, yesterday. It is, however, up of course, a mammoth 220% uh, over the last year then. Of course, expectations for impressive results do still remain. But how much so is the anticipation then from the market with a little bit of nervousness ahead of those results, Steve? Thank you very much. OK, let's whiz for a couple of uh, earnings because we've got a CEO waiting. Uh, Home Depot beat quarterly earnings and revenue estimates despite a nearly 3% fall in sales in the quarter. The home improvement retailer said it remains optimistic about the year ahead, forecasting total sales will grow around 1%. Uh, in fiscal year 2024. Uh, Walmart also topped forecasts with quarterly sales rising 6% as shoppers uh, turned to the retail giant throughout the holiday season. The company also announced it would acquire smart TV maker Vizio for $2.3 billion in a bid to help grow uh, growth in its advertising business. Uh, CEO Doug McMillan told her US colleagues the big box retailer has succeeded in keeping prices available for inflation hit consumers. People are always looking for value, and so we want to offer that to them across our entire assortment, food, consumables, general merchandise, apparel, everything. And we also want to do it with private brands in addition to brands. And they both matter, and we've done a good job, I think, of keeping our prices in a, in a good range and trying to provide some relief from the inflation that our customers have been experiencing. Now, Fresenius hit its raised outlook for the year after a strong end to the year with operating profit up 13% in the fourth quarter, even as revenue fell short of expectations. Full-year group EBIT rose 2% in constant currencies, but the healthcare group expects to improve 
uh, that to improve, should I say, in 2024, forecasting up to 8% growth. Michael Sen is the CEO of Fresenius and joins us now. Michael, thank you so much for the time. Um, with just over a year since you've been at the helm then of the entity, a number of divestments, uh, deconsolidations, just run us through perhaps changes in the portfolio over the last year. Well, uh, good morning to London and thanks for having me. It's great to be back on the show. I'd say Fresenius is headed for the fast lane. Uh, 12 months ago on Squawk Box, actually, we pledged that we're going to reset the entire company. We took decisive actions that meant added focus, more simplicity and transparency and driving better financial performance. And uh, as you said, I think we delivered on all counts the deconsolidation of Fresenius Medical Care, a landmark transaction in less than 12 months. We divested uh, almost a handful of assets as we said we would. The last transaction only closed a couple of days ago on the fertility business on cost out, a really meaningful overachievement by 40%. So 280 million euros hitting the bottom line, strong finish in Q4. And uh, uh, if you look at the full fiscal, our core businesses, and this is the core now, which is Fresenius Kabi and Fresenius Helios, have been consistently delivering quarter by quarter, and we improved uh, the outlook twice during the course of the year. The leverage is clearly trending into the right direction on the back of a remarkable operating cash flow of uh, 2.1 billion on tough comps. So we're going to take this momentum and keep our foot on the pedal and accelerate growth as we go into 24. Uh, you were speaking just about cost savings there as well. Would you be looking to uh, continue those um, or, you know, what does that look like? And um, at the same time, are you still looking to add and consolidate? Yes, the cost savings is an endeavor we started uh, a year ago with with rigor, and this has a time frame until 25 and even 26. And we are even upgrading the target here, and we're going to now go for 400 million until 25 of cost savings. So all levers are being pulled. We're on a good runway. And uh, obviously, we are consolidating all our factory activities. This is a big part of the cost savings. And then focusing on the businesses and on organic growth, because what really matters for us is returns. Hey, Michael, nice to see you uh, in the flesh uh, today. Look, um, Carby, I get it. It's, it's going great guns. I was looking at the cash flow up 46% great. But over at Fresenius, you, you've got some issues in Helios. Is it just about what's going on in Spain or are there other things we need to be concerned about? Actually, I'm not concerned at all that business is, is running and you can almost take a ruler. They have leading market positions. They got great external recognition being uh, awarded the best hospital on the planet, five hospitals of Kiron Salute in Spain. They had a very, very strong quarter, 40% margin, which is phenomenal. And in Germany, it's steady market leading. And they have to kind of keep the level they have, 10% margin, organic growth, market leading. I'm not worried at all. The, I mean, it's great that these two divisions, you mentioned them as well. And, I, and obviously, we've talked about the, the focus that you have in, in refocusing the company onto higher margin products, higher growth going forward as well. But, but is there enough in there for the shareholders at the moment? You still can't pay a divvy because you're still taking uh, financing from the German state as well. When are we going to get to a stage where actually you don't need that money from the German state and actually the shareholders are going to get something better in terms of returns, Michael? 
Well, the returns are improving. If you look at all the numbers, growth improving, operating margin improving, return on capital improving, cash flow improving. So we are on a good trajectory. Now, when it comes to the dividend, this was not that we were against the wall. This was a very, I'd call it, prudent decision on capital allocation. This was not that we have been asking for state money. This is embedded in the business model that there was also no opt-out clause. Everybody who provides care was eligible to get funding for higher energy costs the business really incurred. When you remember going into 23, there was this terrible war in the Ukraine, energy prices were surging. So no opt-out clause. Everybody who delivered care per bed received that funding. Now, we made a deliberate decision taking long-term shareholder view and really what is the best thing for the company, 300 million of cash earnings, and then maybe suspending the dividend for a year, given the leverage where we have been half a year ago. I think this clearly is very shareholder friendly. Fair enough, Michael. Look, there are, there are certain businesses which I just think are ripe for more technology. And yours is one, that, again, it's been discussed with a channel before. AI digitization, where it comes to diagnostics, where it comes to triage, where it comes to cost cutting. I just see these twin tracks, AI and digitization, as just ripe for Fresenius. Are you reaping the fruits yet, Michael? We are. We are. This is one of the major elements going into 24, which is clearly embedded in our strategy. But digitalization, especially in our care delivery business and in Spain, for example, is, is already happening as we speak. When you go there as a patient, the patient journey as such, you log in into a portal and then you're accompanied all through the way. I see great potential, which we are using. We're deploying AI. Just imagine uh, on diagnosis, uh, a radiology, MRI or CT, he or she has to read up to 7,000 pictures a day. In order to augment our physicians here, we are deploying artificial intelligence, for example, on diagnostics or getting to better clinical decisions on the clinical treatment pathway. Yeah, it is stunningly exciting, the progress that can be made as well. Michael, I'm looking forward to the, uh, watching the space move over the next couple of years as well. Nice to see you as ever, Michael. Uh, Michael Sen, CEO of Fresenius. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com or join us again on the show with me, Steve Sedgwick, and Karen Cho, weekdays on CNBC.